Hello, 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 New Haven, and welcome back to Arts Respond on WNHH Community Radio. I'm your host, Lucy Gelman, and Arts Respond is a collaboration between WNHH, the sister station to the New Haven Independent and the Online Journalism Project, and the Arts Council of Greater New Haven, where I edit the arts paper. Today, I'm very excited to welcome guests Adrienne Jefferson, who is the city's director of cultural affairs, and Bria Harvin, who is the programming manager with the Breed Entertainment. Welcome to both of you. Thank you for joining me on this sticky, muggy, but sunny. I the sun's like <laughs> trying to peek out and do its thing. So, um, so I'm gonna go with it. Friday. I appreciate both of you being here. Um, so, Bria, I'm gonna bring it to you first because tomorrow is the inaugural Black Wall Street Festival in the city. So Yay. earlier this week, yes. I think it was Wednesday. I'm not even keeping track of time anymore. Um, there <laughs> was a press conference on Temple Plaza, which is at 160 Temple Street for folks who don't know, announcing the Black Wall Street Festival. And it is a wonderful, exciting initiative um, supported by the breed and also supported by the city of New Haven. So the Department of Cultural Affairs and Economic Development uh, the Economic Development Administration, supporting Black entrepreneurs, business owners, artists, thinkers. We've got educators in the mix, the Sage Academy and Arden Santana. So it's a little bit of everything. And Bria, I would love for you just to talk about it um, for a little minute for folks who maybe didn't catch the press conference and, and think, huh, what is this and why should I come down? Because absolutely, no matter what your background is, you should come down to 160 Temple Street tomorrow and buy Black. Yes, I'm inviting you to join us um, tomorrow from 12 to 6 p.m. at 160 Temple Street. Black Wall Street Festival is giving back to the community and bringing the community together. The breed has a vision for the community and giving back to the community where they're from. Um, over the pandemic, people lost their jobs. A lot of people started their own business, took a leap of faith, and we're bringing that all together on tomorrow for people to promote their business, share what they've been doing during the pandemic, um, and introduce them to other people that they may not know, and just getting everyone to connect with each other. You know, and, and for you, Bria, I would love to know a little bit more about this spirit of giving back. So I know that um, Aaron Rodgers and Rashad Johnson, who are uh, the founders of The Breed, they founded it in 2009, both grew up in New Haven. And when given the chance to say, okay, we're really building something, let's go to a different city like New York or like LA, they said, no, we want to stay here and give back to the community. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about that. Yes, um, I'm from New Haven as well, born and raised um, here in our own hometown. There's not a lot of opportunities given to people of brown and black here. And so our goal is to give us something to do. It's just not all about partying, but we can come together as a community um, to celebrate one another and be proud of the work that we have done. Um, and also give back to those that are behind us and those that are ahead of us to show that we can work together as a team and get things done. And, and tell me about, so I always love to hear from folks who grew up in New Haven, you know, whose shoulders they are standing on. So tell me mm. a little bit about the folks that you grew up with who inspired you to stay in the community, to give back to the community and to say, you know, I want to, I want to pour into New Haven because a lot of people leave for, they for, do. for a multitude of reasons. So I'm born and raised here. I'm a proud graduate of Hill House High School. Um, I graduated from Southern back in 2016. 
I'm here working at the Board of Ed actually, um, giving back to the students here because this is home for me. Um, I've always had a thing for kids, so I like working with children. And for me, I like seeing the community come together. Um, my mentor is a principal at one of the schools here in New Haven, so I still have a great relationship with the schools. So I still go out and I read to kids um, when I can. I recruit students to come to our schools when it's recruitment season. That's part of my job. Um, I like being a helping hand to people. Part of the reason why I am the program director for um, the breed. I like helping. I like putting things together. And so, um, so I, I know you have a very busy day. I won't keep you, but no, you're you know, fine. I know folks might be listening and, and they might think, well, I don't know a whole lot about artists and entrepreneurs in New Haven, um, but we have a lot. As uh, the mayor, Justin Elliker, pointed out on Wednesday morning, we've had 28 Black-owned businesses open in the city, I believe in the past two years. It might be a little more. It might be like two and a half years. Um, but then there are also sort of these small businesses of one. And when you're a business of yeah. one, you do everything, right? You do your own PR, you do your yeah. own HR, like you all, all of it. You figure out that LLC licensing, which is really, really difficult. And several of those folks are also coming out and talking about the work that they do on Saturday. So what can people expect to see if they drop by 160 Temple uh, Street? Um, if you drop by on tomorrow, you're going to see over <laughs> 25 vendors outside um, selling their products, showing you what they've been working on. You're going to have food vendors out there showing um, providing food to you guys. Um, we have a wonderful band coming out to play. We have our very own DJ Easy that will be playing music to keep everyone engaged, to keep the atmosphere going. Um, you're going to learn about what made someone start a business, what made them, you know, step out on faith and do something on their own. As you said, it takes a lot to run a business, especially when you're doing it by yourself. Um, you'll get to have that one-on-one -on -one interaction with them. Um, and take some advice from them and learn how to start your own business. That's something that you want to do. Yeah. And, and I hope listening to this, no one, like no listener is on the fence. If you're on the fence, I, I don't know what to tell you. You shouldn't be on the fence. You should just I don't know your, how you can be on the you fence. You should get your butt downtown. This, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You absolutely. definitely should just do it. Just do it. Yeah. I promise you, like my leap of faith today was coming to do this interview. Adrian yeah. will tell you, mm -hmm. um, I'm not a public speaker. I like being behind the scenes. Um, but I will say I'm proud of the vision that came to life mm -hmm. this year for our first year of doing the Black Wall Street, of having the entrepreneurial party. I'm proud of the work that we've done for the community. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, anything else on your mind or, or on your heart that you'd like to share? And I just want to shout out, since you mentioned them, the band Function, um, also Ricky Alandron, who if, if you don't know him, he is an institution in, in this city and um, just like let him bless your Saturday, right? Like go listen yes. um, and, and DJ Easy. Um, so, you know, anything else that folks should know? Um, come join us tomorrow. You won't be disappointed. Um, come meet you, Aaron and Rashad for yourself. They're wonderful people. On behalf of the breed in the city of New Haven Arts and Culture, we thank you for having us. Um, and we look forward to seeing you all tomorrow. Awesome. Bria Harvin, thank you so much. And thank you for the work you do for our schools. There thank is, I, I really do feel like there is um, no greater sort of calling or, or resource. And I say this with great love for the, the entire city of New Haven and city staff, Adrian, but, um, but there is no, no greater sort of calling than investing in our future. And, and that's our babies. Yes. So thank you for what you do. Thank you. You're welcome. Awesome. 
Um, so I also have Director of Cultural Affairs, Adrian Jefferson. Um, Adrian has played uh, a huge role in the Black Wall Street Festival. Um, and actually, Adrian, before Bria hops off, would you like to say anything specifically about that? And then we'll make a it's not really a hard pivot because we're just talking about it's not. That, it's actually yeah. it could be connected in so many yeah, ways. You know what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Um she actually hit on a lot of the things. I mean, I couldn't have said it better. Um, and I think coming from Bria, who is somebody from the community, born and raised, seen New Haven, knows what New Haven has or what it doesn't have, coming from her is the most authentic place it can come from. All I want to say is that, you know, we've worked with the breed all summer long, the Department of Cultural Affairs has, and we partnered in order to really break open the doors and, and booster the arts and entertainment scene here for Black and Brown creatives and entrepreneurs. That's been the vision the whole time. And the fact that we're able to do this on such a major level and the fact that so many people are excited about it shows that there is a demand for this. There is a need for this. And, and people really have felt unseen and unheard for a very long time. And now we're we're dismantling that. And this is our beginning of doing that. This is, well, not even the beginning. I feel like we've been doing it for the past two and a half years, but I think that since the plan came out, this is really linked to what we're saying when we, when we talk about cultural equity. It's so much easier for us to show you than for us to tell you. Um, so I'm just really grateful. I'm grateful to Bria. I'm grateful to Aaron and Rashad and everyone else from the breed and from my department. Um, Kim Frutrell, um, who has helped to make this happen. Shout out to Kim also. Like she, yeah, she's just an amazing human being. She's really great. And she understands. Kim has like, been holding it down. Yeah, has she been really, holding it down. She has like moving things, even as us as a municipal agency, it's not easy to move things through the mm. city. There's no. permits. There's all of these things without her. I don't even know how I would do half of the things I've done, period, um, in my role, but also and really specifically to what we are doing with the Black Wall Street Festival tomorrow. Yes. It took a lot of behind the scenes work. Mm. Yeah. So I, I feel like that is actually this beautiful transition. So one thing, Adrian, I wanted to have you on the radio to talk about ARPA funding. And for folks who don't recognize the acronym ARPA, it's American Rescue Plan Act. Um, so the city has is receiving um, in different tranches or, or sort of chunks, buckets, about $115 million in ARPA funding over a certain period of time. And then within that, there's a bucket for economic development. And then in the bucket, it's like a Russian doll. In the bucket <laughs> for economic, or I, I feel like we can't say Russian doll. Maybe, can we say- No, like I know what you're saying though. It's just never ending the right. layers on top of layers. Or like an yeah. onion, it's like an onion. Yes. I'm gonna go with that. Um, and and then within that is um, arts, culture, and tourism, or Adrian, as, as you have often been saying, as you uh, started the position in February 2020, cultural affairs. Yes. And so, you know, in January, I believe January of this year, uh, your office rolled out the city's, and I think the state's inaugural cultural equity plan. And this money is coming into the city at the same time. So I'm wondering if we can talk about um, what it's already been spent on, mm -hmm. because a lot mm -hmm. of money has gone toward programming and specifically programming that artists are putting on in the community. That's and right. then um, you just received another, and the alders voted on another $1.5 million chunk. And, yes. you know, as someone who works in the nonprofit world, I recognize that $1.5 million, that's a lot of money for like one person. If you said to me tomorrow, like, I'm going to give you $1.5 million, I'd be like, 
great. I'm set for years, mm-hmm. right? It's not a ton of money for a city. And so, no, it's not. So, so what can we expect to be seeing from that amount of money? So um, first, I just want to touch on the fact that, yeah, it's really not. It is a lot compared to what we get in a budget, just in our operational budget. A lot of people don't realize that the Department of Cultural Affairs only receives about $190,000 a year. And that's to support the entire infrastructure of arts and culture in this city. It is minuscule. I mean, it's, you know, it's, and, and you know, we see that across the nation. We've seen that we're in the state. It's the, the least funded thing usually, right? So that's not abnormal, but it is problematic when it comes to supporting our landscape, right? So I think we have to acknowledge that the fact that there is money that has been allocated to so much to, to so much more than $150,000 or $190,000 is significant, right? Um, now, as far as the allocation of what this is going to go to or what it can go to, I mean, it couldn't have come at a better time. You know, you have a cultural equity plan. And within our cultural equity plan, there's a list of 12 action items. And the action items, many of them require money, right? Some of them are people power, people resources. But but a lot of it is pouring funding back into the Black and Brown community. Um, Black Wall Street Festival is an example of that. No, it is not a byproduct of the ARPA dollars. It's um, That funding came out of New Haven Festival's. It still is an example of how we can redistribute money through funding that is coming into the city in a really major and significant way, right? So the first one million, you asked a lot of questions in there, so I'm trying to unpack it. But the first one million that we received went to six grant programs that we um, ran through the bonfire procurement process. Um, Some of those programs, and actually, I'm so glad that you said that a lot of what we're seeing around the city actually has been paid for through these ARPA funds that ran through our office. I think a lot of times that's not um, realized that we are sponsoring so much and we are supporting so much. Um, So I appreciate you saying that. But um, we had a public art grant program. Um, Pride Center was one of our applicants uh, to to do some murals around the city. Uh, Ming Thompson was one of the applicants to do a mural around. I don't know if she's done it yet or if they have done it yet, but they have been applicants. Right. Um, We have had venue sponsorship grants that have gone out to some of the nonprofit organizations that haven't been able to sponsor the community coming in to utilize their assets in their stage. So we've done funding for that. We've done um, a big grant to the Arts Council in order to refund that money back into the community and get it in artists' hands right away. So we did the cultural fund with the Arts Council. We've done a variety of different uh, grant programs, but those are the three that come off the top of my head. And within that, so so I know that part of that is an eye towards, and I, I know we've talked about this before, but I don't think we can say it enough. Part of that is really having an eye towards these action items that you outlined in the plan. And I'm wondering um, if, if really quickly you can tease the difference, because I always get inquiries about it and some pushback, but really from people who are like, we're not going to waste our breath on today. Mm-hmm. Um, but But tease out the difference between equity and equality, because I think that is central to this discussion of who we're funding, how we're funding them, and with what dollars. And we always talk about this um, equity versus equality. I think people have to understand that equity is what we're ta- is evening the the playing field. Mm-hmm. Equity means that not everyone has been afforded the same opportunities, mm-hmm. and not everyone is starting in the same place. And that there are some people who have been marginalized historically for a very long time who need 
additional steps in order to be on the same exact level. And that means that we have to put specific attention into those marginalized groups in order to get them on the same level. So now we are equal. So you can't start at equality because it won't be a level playing field. And so that's the that's the best way that I can describe it. I always recommend to like that picture of the different people standing on the different boxes and then you have a fence. And if you are on, if you have no box, you can't see over the fence. If you have one box, you can hardly see over the fence. If you have two or three boxes, now you're seeing over the fence. And actually there's a picture with a, where the fence is totally just breaking all the way down and now everyone can see. And that's what, that's what it is. Because I know a lot of times people feel like, well, if you're focusing so much on marginalized groups or black and brown people, what does that mean for me? But one thing I think that people have to understand is when you focus on equity, it actually benefits everybody. It benefits all communities when policies and legislation and programs are created that amplify marginalized groups. It literally is a ripple effect that will positively impact communities that may not be marginalized. And so everybody wins. Um, and I encourage people to just do additional research on equity because the information is out there at this point. Yes, absolutely. And um and either Harry Droz or myself will drop a link to the city's cultural equity plan and writing that we've done on the city's cultural equity plan in case someone hears that and thinks, hey, I haven't read this thing. It's a beautiful document. You should absolutely read it. You should read, um, shameless plug, my reporting, but also Brian Flattery's reporting. Um, I love and- your articles, Lucy. You are just oh, thank you. amazing. Uh, but I mean, also like we won't discriminate. We love the indie Yes, um, love I love Mark, Mark Zaretsky over at the Reg. He's good people. And so, yeah, it's we can have a robust news landscape in, in Danny's over at the Daily Nutmeg and, and Kathy Sepsiel. Um, but I, but so, we can also pay you your flowers because they're all great, right? So it's a both you. and everyone's great and you deserve your flowers too. So we thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so if you're just joining us here on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven, I am Lucy Gelman. This is Arts Respond. And today I am having a wonderful conversation with Adrian Jefferson, the city's director of cultural affairs and Bria, I'm pulling up, uh, Bria Harvin, program manager, <laughs> programming manager, excuse me, with the Breed Entertainment um, for the first 10 minutes, we talked about the city's inaugural Black Wall Street Festival, which will be Saturday, August 27th from noon to 6 p.m. in Temple Plaza. That's 160 Temple Street, if you don't know the address. Um, so now you really have no excuse for not going. And uh, and now we were talking about American Rescue Plan Act uh, funding and allocation toward the arts. So in this 1.5 million chunk what are we going to see, you know, with federal dollars, I think sometimes people don't understand, like, I, I believe in Adrian, I know from talking to you that you also just believe in like unrestricted giving, just like give people money, right? I do. But with federal dollars, there's all this red tape. Yeah. And so one, what are we expecting to see? And then two, you know, how can people access it? So, so this is a two-part question. Let's first go with part one. What can we expect to see? And then I want to talk about breaking this down in a way where artists say, this is not inaccessible for me. Yeah, no, I appreciate your question. We actually have, and I should have 
pulled it up and did a little presentation to show you. I actually have a pitch deck that I put before the Board of Alders of a number of different programs that we would use this funding to cover. Um, these will, number one, be transparent grants open to the community to be able to apply for the funding. So all the programs will be like that. Now, some of the categories are workforce. Creative workforce initiative is something that we just started with the Arts Council separately, but really looking at expanding that to the arts organizations who are still struggling. You know, the pandemic, um, a lot of people have to understand that the pandemic really, really took out some of our arts organizations and, and the arts organizations were hit and the arts community rather was hit very hard. You know, people stopped working. We know everyone, everything shut down and the arts community really had to reimagine our role um, during the pandemic and during the social unrest and what it's gonna look like. And so based upon that, um, a lot of people had to let go some of their staff. They had to let go and lay off their team. So now you have arts organizations who have lost workers and talent, and then you have the talent who's out of jobs. And many of them have not come back you know, to restore that job. And the reason is the capital isn't there. So we wanna be able to provide uh, some relief in work, the workforce realm for our arts nonprofits who didn't lose talent and be able to open up a grant program to support bringing back staff and the support for general operations and staffing. Um, so that's one piece to it. Another piece to it is things like the Black Wall Street Festival. I just wanna be clear, this is not being paid for by ARPA funds, but I did actually propose this concept of pop-up markets all throughout the city of New Haven, not just downtown, but in Fairhaven, in Dixwell, in Quinnipiac, all over the city where different community management teams or organizations or community leaders or whoever can come forward and apply for funding to support festivals and pop-up, um, kind of like not even just pop-up markets, not festivals, like pop-up markets in their area that would generate income to their businesses uh, in those specific communities. Um, I mean, we've we talked about a number of different programs. We talked about general operating funds and, and kind of like an unrestricted fund for arts, for artists and um, nonprofit organizations. So those are just a, a couple. Now, what I will say is when we went in for the original pitch, we pitched for way more money. And so we had about six to seven programs that we wanted to do under, you know, this this, this with this money we're looking at 1.5. So it might shift significantly what we're able to do. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to, and I have feelings about that, but I'm going to leave them out of this interview for the moment. Um, and I also want to thank um, uh, just Miss Mia Dufranc and Jasmine Vega, who have been commenting on Facebook. Also, thank you so much for listening to us. I really appreciate you being here. Um, uh, Mia Frank says, I wish everyone believed in unrestricted giving. Me too. Like, can the federal government just do, I don't know, like, especially right now, I feel like Biden is is on his, like, he's feeling gracious with the whole yes. student loan debt thing. And so let's, like, maybe we can work on that. Some UBI, yes. like, I would love to pilot a universal basic income program in New Haven as well. Um, and Jasmine says, I am a result of the CWI, the Creative Workforce Initiative. And what a blessing at, at the Arts Council and what a blessing and relief it has been to gain experience, income and recognition as an artist. I mm. love that. I love that. And that, that was actually part of my question. Um, so I think this is changing, Adrian, in the arts landscape, but I often don't see it changing fast enough. 
some folks, when they hear about the creative workforce initiative, they may say, okay, but why? Mm. And I'm wondering, like, we are still in this arts ecosystem where I often see mm. organizations, right? The nonprofit industrial complex is very real. It's real mm-hmm. in New Haven. It's real across the country. Mm-hmm. Organizations who bring people on, but they pay them very little mm-hmm. or they don't pay them anything at all. And this is also, they'll bring someone on full-time, but they'll say, well, you're full-time, but I'm going to pay you $41,000. Well, you can't do that if you're a parent. You can't do that if you have outstanding student loan debt. You can't do that if maybe you're supporting folks in your family, right? Right. And so what kind of opportunities does something like the Creative Workforce Initiative or CWI for short, you know, what does that open up for folks to whom the arts have been the arts institutionally, because I, I will say people have found a way to interact with the arts mm-hmm. throughout history. Like that That's is, right. that is older than the Bible. That is older than the cave paintings. Right. Um, but institutions are often the ones putting up a big fence and saying, well, we like, we want you on our pamphlet, um, but we don't want you enough to pay mm-hmm. the living wage. Yeah. It's very performative. So, um, you know, yes. <laughs> I feel a lot of different ways about that. And how I'm like, where do I even start? I, first of all, <laughs> there, there has to be a pipeline created, an entry point for people who are not familiar with what arts administration even is to be able to thrive, you know, in this sector. You know, I was a product of that where I didn't grow up knowing what arts administration was. That's something I had to learn, like as people, as mentors, Um, And people who invested in me were able to show me the different career options I can actually have with my talents in the arts. Right. And so we have to really make sure we're opening the pathways to education around what this is, what kind of sustainable careers you can have outside of just being on television and all of that. There are like 56, 57 careers you can have in the arts. And these are sustainable careers and the education really needs to begin. And so that means we have to have a pipeline and we have to be intentional about reaching the communities with this information, right? It can't be something that's just kind of siloed and kept to itself only amongst an elite few. And honestly, that's what we've seen. That's that's what's happened. I also think that, you know, a lot of times people want to know, how do I be anti-racist within my organization? How do I do this work? Well, let me tell you something. When we're having events like the Black Wall Street Festival or the entrepreneur party that we just had with over 300 Black and Brown creatives who are not attending other types of events in the city, but they're at this space, you should you should show up at something like that, right? Because it goes to a point where the talking gets really old and you have to start to come and just be a part of the action and immerse yourself in culture. So so that's that's how I feel about it, um, you know, just in general. Um, and and I think that some people just in general, you know, separately from this, I think people in general who are not in the arts struggle with the concept on how arts and culture is relevant to our economy, how arts and culture pushes our economy, but we are a multi-billion dollar industry, you know, worldwide. In the state of Connecticut alone, we contribute $9.7 billion into this state, all through arts and culture action and how it interacts with other sectors, right? So with God bless you. <laughs> so when you when you understand that, 
right? When you can understand those key components, now you can understand that, oh, wow, we're actually dealing with like lots of revenue that comes in. And we can use this in ways that empowers other people, employment, workforce, um, giving people opportunities through business and entrepreneurship and, and putting resources into people's pockets, right? But I think it's understanding the entire landscape. There's just, just not a, enough. When we advocate, I don't think we're speaking the language that is connecting not just to our legislators, but to normal people, right? We have to stop um, speaking over people's heads. I I think that's true. And one of the things you also talked about was nonprofit relief. And I I wanna um, talk about that for a moment because, you know, some organizations, and and this is partly in, so Adrian, you came from the Connecticut Office of the Arts. So you know this intimately in Connecticut for folks who maybe are out there and don't know, we're one of the only states left that still does directed line item funding. And that means that if at some point your well-heeled arts organization that is probably led by a cisgender white man, not mm. calling anyone out, but maybe calling some people out, um, <laughs> uh, you know, sent a lobbyist to Hartford, mm-hmm. um, you get a certain chunk of money every year that just goes into the state budget. And maybe you come and you talk to the, the appropriations committee about how uh, how grateful you are that you were able to do educational programming around Legally Blonde, the musical, but probably it just goes in there and you don't do a whole lot about it. And so right. it means that the sort of the gap or the, at this point, it's kind of a chasm between the organizations that have, mm-hmm. that, that really were able to make it through the pandemic because they had that um, sort of like nest egg of funding yeah. with the organizations that are living on the razor thin margins, which often are the organizations, you know, I'm thinking of like Chaz Carmen and the folks at Ice the Beef, uh-huh. which do uh-huh. a lot of work, they in do the a lot of work with a little bit of money. Yep. And, and so tell me a little bit about what we can expect as far as support for orgs mm-hmm. um, that are, you know, walking that razor thin line, especially in the pandemic. Like we know that, um, for black business, for black and brown owned businesses, but also yep. for organizations um, that were were and are led by people of color, they mm-hmm. were struggling uh, in some places before the pandemic, and the pandemic just pulled the rug out. That's right. Yeah, I um, yeah, you said you said a lot that I agree with uh, completely. I think the problem is too, and I'm definitely going to answer your question, but I just want to add in because you just made some really great comments. Um, the problem is that some people are not able to advocate for themselves. And so when you look at it like that, that's an unequitable process. So the fact that some people know how to go and reach their legislators and some people have an open door uh, into certain levels into government and they know these people, now they're able to have these conversations and show what they're doing when others who are also doing great work, if not better work, are not able um, to also show that and display that in an equitable manner. And so in the state of Connecticut, and you already hit on this, we're like the top two, uh, rated top two place um, with the most line items. Like, and that's not equitable. Usually most of that money that's given from legislation to arts and culture will go into the state arts agency through a transparent grant process that allows for everybody to come in. It's not just allocated to, you know, certain line items. Do I think there's an issue with like, I mean, you know, we can have that debate, right? So we're not even going to go there on that. Um, but I, to answer your question on what we can expect with ARPA money, um, so we are going to be doing something very specific to Black entrepreneurial growth, creative Black entrepreneurial growth. And we're going to be partnering through this money, um, being able to do technical assistance, capital support, 
grant support for small and emerging businesses who really have not been able to get access to capital. That's gonna be a major thing. And that can include infrastructure, that can include facility space, that can include just needing money for certain merchandising um, in order to you know, sell your products. And it will have the creative entrepreneur lens because we are arts and culture. So it will be for creative entrepreneurs, but um, it's specifically to build black and brown wealth. And so, I believe that goes in the category of what you're saying. And you don't have to just be a nonprofit. You can be, um, you know, just an LLC or a for-profit rather. That's fine. It's not going to have any restriction on who can come into that. And, and the entry to the entry level, the barrier will be very low so that it allows for more people to come in. Now, one thing I will tell you, because some people struggled with this when we did the original ARPA, you know, the first ARPA tranche. People were having a really hard time with the procurement process in the city. And that has nothing to do with arts and culture. Like the, the process is what it is. And we've been working with um, finance to make that process more accessible and equitable for artists because we realize that a lot of the requirements that is in that procurement process citywide is not something that artists are going to have or small nonprofit arts organizations are going to have. So we've been working out a way to make sure that that barrier that entry, that entry barrier is um, lessened. I, I want to stay with that and and talk about um, you know even as we have this funding coming into the city, there are there are barriers to access, and you just named a huge one. So Jasmine Vega, who's been hanging out with us on Facebook, and Jasmine, Hi, thank Jasmine. you so much, um, asks how can small organizations receive appropriate funding through these grants by applying for grants but have no access, and this is actually a great question, to someone who is a great writer, specifically a grant writer. Um, and I, I feel that deeply, like I, there have been so many times that people have said, we don't have a grant writer, we don't have a, direct, a director of development, or um, we have someone who can write a grant at, at our organization, but they can't write it in English. They can write yeah. it in Spanish, they can write it in Pashto, they can write it in Arabic, but English is not their first language. And um, they are needing more money, uh, but have no money to get someone to help them get money. I feel this so deeply. And, and so I'm interested in the answer, um, you know, to this question and, and how ARPA money might be able to relieve them. And Adrian, I will drop the question in the chat as well. Please, Yes. Well, what, one thing I want to bring attention to is we actually have a grant, uh, a grant workshop program that's free right now, that's open right now in our department. And so if I can find the link, I will drop it in and maybe you can share it with those who are viewing from on like Facebook or online. Um, I would, it's a, it's a, it's a really amazing program that is teaching people how to write grants. Um, Alice Ann is who we have partnered with and she has put together a very robust program that you can, you can access on demand. You don't even have to be available for the sessions if you're not. So thinking about accessibility for all types of people and then being able to literally learn and, and be in a cohort with other people around your idea, cultivating your idea all the way through to having the actual grant proposal. Then you can actually take that grant proposal and the techniques you've learned and apply it to other things and more more strenuous processes uh, like the ARPA grant or like grants with the state of Connecticut Office of the Arts. So I first want to just say there is a resource right now that we have put money into that because we've heard this right and we're hearing people and this and we're responding to people through programs and we want people to tap into those programs. Um, next, I would say uh, regarding the the grant funding. That's something that it will, will be a part of what I um, explained earlier around creative entrepreneurship, technical assistance and grants and other opportunities in order to develop 
new businesses or, you know, mid-level businesses who might be trying to scale or who might be struggling, right? That's part of it technical assistance piece is we're going to meet you where you are at. So if you're looking for a grant writer and you apply for this funding, that money will be able to be utilized towards getting a professional grant writer or even going to take a workshop or two um, in order to to build up your skill set. So I hope that answers the question. It it does for me, Jasmine. I hope it does for you. And please comment if it doesn't. This is a this is a dialogue, not a um... Just not talking at you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness for social media, right? It lets us, um, it lets us, I never thought I'd say that. It lets us be interactive. And uh, so I also want to ask you about the language equity piece of this because I've heard from some artists that they they don't always feel empowered because they struggle with English. And I and I think that um, especially in New Haven, but also in I, I mean, I would say in Connecticut, some people hear the word Connecticut and they think it's like someone on a yacht or an episode of Gilmore Girls. And let me tell yeah. you, the nutmeg state has so much more to offer than that. So um, please come to our state and uh, support our artists and entrepreneurs and educators while you're here. I would really appreciate that. Um, but but I think that sometimes people uh, feel like, well, if, um, you know, if, if someone doesn't uh, just have this language piece, then maybe they're not like, there's a, a treatment of some artists like, oh, they're not deserving of that. Mm. Grant. And, and that really mm. upsets me because I want to say, um, yes, like we, one of the things I'm so proud of in New Haven is um, the incredible diversity. The, the word that um, Jacob Pedrone, who's at Longworth Theater, uses this yes. topic. And I, I love that. And, um, and so I, I want to ask you about the language equity piece of this as you're navigating this ARPA pool of funding. Yeah, it, it's a big deal. <laughs> you know, the fact there is a language barrier, right? And we as the city need to be to make sure we have the resources in place to address that because, you know, it's not anyone's fault if they have, you know, that they speak a different language. We need to make sure that we have things in different languages, right? We need to make sure that we're presenting content in different ways to, to reach different audiences because we are so diverse and we are so um really yeah, it's just a melting pot here in the city of New Haven, right? So that's something that we're working on. Um, and honestly, it's something we have to do better at, right? And so with this next round of grant funding, we are going to be uh, focusing on that piece and making sure that we do have things written in different languages. And also not just that, but also like the branding of things, because somebody might look at something and see branding that doesn't feel like it's resonating with them. And that might work for a specific audience, but it's not working for this other demographic, right? So we have to think about how we serve all of our residents across the board. And it's not an easy feat. I only say that because our capacity is low. Like our department, and I'm just talking about my department, my department has two people. We run probably about 15 programs, if not more, right? And that's just the programs we run in addition to all the other things that we do, um, adding ARPA on top of that with two people, right? And so we're trying to do the best we can to be the, the most accessible that we can with very little money that we have and 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 be able to set the tone, right? And that's that in itself is difficult. Um, but we are we are trying to do the work. I will say one thing that I would like to go towards, and I did this at the state. We had a program called the Reggie Grant at the state, which ran for a very, very long time, the regional initiative grant program that I was over. And it was the same type of problem when it came to a language barrier. So what, what I started to do was to take away the paper application or um, 
and just do a, a, a vocal application. So you can do like, you can speak your application, you can do a presentation, you can come in and actually meet people and get interviewed. It was less about what you're writing on paper and more about you being in person, just being able to speak about your project, right? And so that actually was another way of opening the doors to people who felt intimidated by grant writing as well. And we're doing something very similar with the Neighborhood Vitality Grant Program that we have. And perhaps we'll do something similar with the ARPA grant programs. And just, you know, with the ARPA grants, like we're open for so much feedback on how we do this, what will be the best ways, other grant programs that we might be able to do with this money. Nothing is set in stone. We want to talk to the community about what where this can best go in the arts and culture world. So I do want to put that out there. But um, long story short, I'm hoping we can implement that idea of like not just a grant right, grant application, but verbal application as well. I, I really um, I, I really love that because even as I was asking you the question, I thought, you know, language equity isn't even as simple as English. I'm often yeah, reminded exactly. of this, um, as a reporter when I am looking at like court documents, those are written in a way where if you haven't gone to law school and I have not gone to law school uh, along with a lot of the country, um, you have no like it, it might as well be, you know, old world Yiddish or gibberish that I'm reading because it's like it's nothing. I can feel my eyes sort of glaze over. And, um, and, and, and so that's also, you know, that can be, um, that can be a huge barrier. And I hear from people all the time, oh, I was going to go, uh, for this grant with, I, I won't say it, but fill in state organization here. Um, but it required me to do 40 pages of reporting and I'm a staff of two people. And, and I didn't have, like, I, I think that and for very little money for yeah. like $2,000. If that, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. So in, in our remaining about um, 12, 13 minutes, Adrian, I want to ask you, you know, what you're really excited about with this ARPA funding on the horizon. Also, you're in, I'm trying to do reporter math, which is always a very dangerous thing. Um, you're, you're past the two and a half year mark. Yeah, I'm, I'm itching up on three years. Yeah, it, it feels like yesterday that we were in a meeting together in early February in, in City Hall, one of the last meetings in City yeah. Hall. Um, but, you know, but what are you really looking forward to? I don't want to say as you really get into this job, because you hit the ground running, right? Um, but but as we're sort of at this different, um, we're still in COVID, COVID's still with us, but we're at a very different point in the pandemic. And so what are some things you're really excited about that get you out of bed every day? Mm, that's a great question, Lucy. You always ask the good questions. Honestly, I'm interested in transformation and um, making sure that the things that and the promises that have been made to so many residents in this city before, specifically to a lot of black and brown folks, the hurt that has been done, the healing and the reconciliation that is needed, that it can be done through a transformational way through this money, right? It's one thing to talk about it. It's great that we have a cultural equity plan. Like, that in itself is transformation, but the real work begins after the plan, right? And so I'm hoping that all of those things come into play and that we really are changing something, right? That lives are changed, that, that people are getting platforms, that people are getting opportunities, that people are able to build upon uh, their, their dream with this funding and to really begin things that mean something to them that matters to them in their community. I mean, it's that simple, right? That's what gets me, I get tired like all the time. And, 
that's what gets me out of bed. You know, when I'm having conversations with Selwa, who has beautiful ideas about, you know, doing something like showing me buildings, like, yo, if I have this building one day in New Haven, here's what I would do, a Black liberation space. Like, trying to make that possible for her gets me out of bed. You know, working with the Breed Entertainment, who just started their nonprofit organization, and now they're giving back to youth, and they're opening up the doors to arts workforce through their nonprofit, that gets me out of bed trying to figure out how I can get them funding. So all the things that I do honestly come from like the deepest parts of my soul. And and, and, and anything that's going to have impact on the community is what gets me out of bed. And and are there projects, you know, also on the on the horizon? I love that you mentioned I I feel like often I'll, I'll hear someone say that and we like we need to talk. We cannot talk enough about access to capital, the need for access to capital. Um, you know, like I so I've been a reporter here for almost 10 years. And for that whole time, artists have been talking about what they would do if someone was like, here's thirty five million dollars. Mm -hmm. Go play at the armory. Go mm -hmm. fix the armory. That building has good bones. Uh, the roof is about to cave in. We're in conversations yeah. about that. Yeah. And, you know, I talked to Nadine, just was yeah. in a meeting with her and she's the one championing that. And if we can make that happen, you know what I'm saying? Stuff like that, like that's what matters. And I think it's not even just about the money. It's like not even just that, right? It's like people resource. It's the education that comes with once you have that money, what you do with it. It's it's all of those things that make someone be, be able to, to thrive, you know, in this industry or in their communities, like the whole package of support, that's what we should be providing. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And and then, you know, this is a sort of a duh question, I think, for a lot of people, but we have been talking about it without saying the words, but, you know, how are the arts part of healing? And I, I think this is you know, true. Uh, one thing that I was thinking of during the press conference for Black Wall Street on Wednesday was we were so close, like physically so close to where the Oak Street connector cut through New Haven. And that displaced wow. 881 families. Most yeah. of those families were working class. They were Black and Puerto Rican. They were immigrant. Um, yeah. And and so there is, you're, Adrian, you're absolutely right. There is so much harm that has been done you maybe could argue that it's still being done it's in, still being in done. parts of yeah. the community. Um, I would agree. And, and so how, you know, how are the arts and culture tethered to healing? I know that you can't do it alone, even as a one woman army or, or with Kim, two women. But, um, but how is this tied to healing? Especially mm -hmm. now, you know, we're in the third calendar year of the pandemic. Well, first of all, none of us can do it alone, period, right? Like anybody who's in any type of change work can't do it alone. I learned a long time ago um, in this beautiful workshop I was a part of in DC that like, we are not the revolution by ourselves. And anybody who thinks that they are is lying to themselves. Like you can go and take a nap and go to sleep and, and wake up and the same problems will still be there. And there's other people who will carry that work for you. So that's something I've learned. I do not carry trying to I can do all I can do in my capacity. You know what I mean? All that I can do, I will give it, but I don't try to even say I can do it alone. Not at all. Um, but as far as healing and reconciliation in the arts, I love that question because I think that 
the arts is designed to like heal, right? The, the arts is a social justice tool. And actually there's a quote and I believe it goes, what if we stop looking at art as a tool for social justice and look at it as social justice, right? And so when you look at it like that, I think Mark Valdez, he is an um, arts practitioner who said that. And it always resonates with me deeply because it's kind of like, yeah, the arts it can be that conduit to change when it comes to the conversations we need to have cultural preservation, like in our communities, telling the true story of our community, right? So not just the redlining that happened, because that happened and we have to talk about it, right? We have to talk about the fact that slavery was present in New Haven. We have to talk about the New Haven Green and the fact that there was bones coming up on New Haven Green, right? Like slave bones coming up. Like we have to talk about this stuff. We can't just breeze over it like it's not present, right? And then we also need to talk about the rich cultural history too, like Billie Holiday being in the Dixwell area and Langston Hughes and so many of our New Haven natives who are also like celebrities in their own right and have done amazing things for their community. To me, healing is about cultural preservation, telling the stories and revitalizing and restoring that. And so the arts is center and key in all of that because there is no, if you think about it, there is no city Without the arts, people move to where arts and culture are. Like wherever you see arts and culture, you see buildings start to show up, hotels, you see economics starting to thrive, right? And so I think part of healing in arts and culture is place keeping, not place making, right? That's very important. I think the narratives that we put out, being able to reclaim our narratives through arts and culture and not have other people you know, tell and not just through arts and culture, just through social justice in general and anti-racism, like being able to be the ones who tell our own stories, like that's very important because people will put their own spin on it all day. And I think that that's what it looks like. And and I don't see the arts as something that is separate from health equity or, you know, when we're looking at mobility, it's in that same pot. And a lot of the times it's easy to be a conduit in arts and culture because so many people communicate through arts and culture in a variety of different ways. So yeah, that's that's how I feel. I mean, I could go on and on and on. It, it's, it literally also, just not for nothing, it saves people's lives. There are a lot of people who were just, and me being one of them, who was just introduced to arts and culture at a very hard time in my childhood and it saved my life, right? And a lot of the people I know, it's the same stories that they just never knew that the arts would take them this far. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like we need a whole, another whole hour just to talk about like spatial reparations, cool stuff that's happening. You talked about reclamation. Some of that's happening on Dixwell Avenue. Yes. And I just yes. um, I, I just want to shout out. Um, so Dinky, whose last name I'm forgetting, but who owned Dinky's Jazz Club. And then, of course, um, the just unimpeachable Hank Bolden, who still plays mm. in New Haven and is incredible because they were part of that legacy, but also you know, Diane Brown, who is yes. down at Stetson and, and doing the it's work. Amazing. Of, um, I, I would say 10 to 15 people on a daily basis and, and really like holding that anchor, the, the team behind the Q house, which is bringing, um, I, I would say a, a new flavor while honoring an old and really beautiful legacy. Um, and, and so a lot of that work. And then the, the two churches that are across from each other, um, Dixwell UCC, which I think just celebrated it's, bicentennial um yeah. and then Barrick AME across this the street and so um this this idea of um spatial reparations and also reclamation of a space and and keeping legacy alive so I just have to have you back on that's the yeah um, I would love to talk to you I'll come on anytime to talk to yes, you yes um absolutely but 
Um, I, I want to thank you, Adrian Jefferson, so much for joining me today on this episode of Arts Respond. Um, if you're just joining us, you have missed a great conversation. Go back and listen to all of it. I promise it's really enjoyable. Like pop it on if you're cooking or in your car, I don't know, whatever you're doing. Um, and join folks in the city of New Haven, city of New Haven, um, Office of Economic Development and also Arts, Culture and Tourism or Cultural Affairs, whichever you prefer. <laughs> Um, and the Breed Entertainment tomorrow from noon to 6 p.m. Yeah, Temple Plaza, which is 160 Temple Street. You can't tell me that I didn't tell you where to park because I just gave you the address. So mm. come down, support Black artists, entrepreneurs, educators. Some amazing people are going to be there. I, I feel like I got just a little taste of it. And even that was so exciting on Wednesday um, during the press conference. So please, please, please go down support Black businesses. Adrian. I can't thank you enough for joining me today on this episode of Arts Respond. And Bria, if you're out there and still listening, thank you so much for joining us as well. Love well, her. Thank you so much, Lucy. Have a beautiful weekend, everyone.